This is a crowd podcast. Hello, I'm Geraint Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift, the indoor cycling app. Jump on your smart trainer and jump into Zwift. Closer or welcome. Gee, I hear you have had an unusual visitor round at Thomas Towers since we did our challenges in Monaco the other week. Yeah, so I think they must have seen our competition on uh, on social media and thought we'd better go and test him because uh, I had dope control come this morning, which was, um, and they came just after I'd been to the toilet. So yeah, Max had literally woken up about two minutes before, got up, had a wee, get into the lounge and then the bell goes and I'm like, oh no. You just know like, like who else is going to be at seven o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so yeah, they come up and uh, yeah, blood and urine and Max was like, dad, what they doing? Oh, you know, just testing my health, Max. Why? <laughs> and then he's into why now and he's like, why, why, why? Just sat there in his nappy, takes his nappy <laughs> off, running around. I'm just like, uh, yeah. Do, do you want to put some clothes on, Max? Nope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I'm not sure they knew where to look or what to do, but yeah, that was my morning. I hope they, um, I hope you're on the whereabouts system, Tom, because I feel like you need to be tested as well. Yeah, you know my view on this, G. I like to prove to, to people my performances are clean, that they can trust me. And if I hand out an absolute hammering to someone over 5K, that people can believe in the performance that they've seen. <laughs> uh, okay, then, yeah. So hopefully they'll be knocking on your door at some point, but 6am tomorrow. Yeah, we'll see. We've had some ideas in for forfeits, I see, Geraint. Yeah, we have, Tom. So technically, it was a draw um, and needs to go to a decider. But Chris Gams has suggested your forfeit already for losing the bike, which (laughs) I'm all up for. But he thinks you should wear my outfit the next time you do your park run. What do you reckon? Oh, the the GB vest and the the swim shorts and the emoji socks. Not sure you could pull it off because it's a very fast look. You got to be, yeah, (laughs) you know, only a few can get away with that. I think because your power comes from your legs, actually, I think my upper body fills out a vest slightly better than yours. Um, but this is like bald men fighting over a comb because I don't think any of us would sell ourselves on our biceps. <laughs> I quite like that forfeit though, but we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Why has Chris Gams not mentioned a forfeit for you? Oh, because he knows I'll probably just let you in. Either that or <laughs> because you're not on the whereabouts system. I don't know. Take your pick. Right, let's have some forfeits uh, for G as well, please. You are off to the Maldives, G, in a couple of days. Um, listen, the sun is shining in Nutsford. I'll pretend I'm not jealous about this. Yeah, looking forward to that. Max thinks he's going to a treasure island. Um, <laughs> so yeah, nice nice chill out there in the sun, the sea. Um, nice place to go and relax. Absolutely. And have you thought any more about our episode last week? Because we've had some really nice feedback about our chat with Remco Avenapol. Because you don't hear him very often like that, I don't think. Yeah, so I was um, thinking afterwards, like when I did my pelvis as well, a similar injury to his. Obviously, it's not identical because there's a lot of other differences. But I remember um, 2009 in Tirreno, I was in the TT. I'd done the Olympics the year before, so I was like, right, you know, next few years, I'm going to concentrate on the road and see what I can do there, try and push that forward. And, you know, best result that day probably would have been like a top 15, maybe top 10 would be like really good for me. And I just went way too fast into a corner, overshot the bend, hit hit the barrier, head first into a tree and dropped down about 
it was about 20 foot. It was a big old, I bounced once and then landed on the a gravel road, gravel path below. Anyway, I did my pelvis there, plus a few other little things, scaphoid. And I was just thinking like back then, because I would have probably been a similar age to Remco. And I was thinking like, how long did it take me to get back? And I was back, you know, I was good at Tour of Britain, but obviously my good and Remco's good back then was slightly different. Um, <laughs> you know, I had some sort of jersey on. I can't remember what the jersey was for. But I was like in the sort of, I was maybe sixth or fifth or just an attacking and in the race. So, um, yeah, I was thinking, I come back all right from it, but I think it just shows you just got to be patient. Because I remember I didn't do anything for about oh, two, three months. And then I remember him talking about how he pushed a bit too much and had to have another two weeks, two months, sorry, off. So, uh, I think that just goes to show anyone listening and you have a big injury, it's definitely good to have goals to get back to, 100%. And we're lucky, me and Remco, we had a real good team around us to get us back. But I think having a big goal is good, but at the same time, just don't push it because it's, uh, yeah, Tour Britain and Tirreno, that's a big, it's almost, what is it? Four or five months, which is a decent amount of time. So uh, just chill, just chill. And the, the, the second thing I took from it actually was he's, he's a lot older, like, He's wiser than his years, isn't he? You know, you get some 22-year-olds, you're like, yeah, he's definitely 22. Or, you know, he seems like 18 or something. Got a few of them on our team. I won't say who. Um, <laughs> but he's just, he seems like a 26, 27-year-old. You know, he's he's older than his years. He And tactically as well, coming to racing so late, that's like a convenient excuse for some of the guys. You know, you get these young guys, and like, oh yeah, but he hasn't raced much. He's only started racing when he was 16, 17 and oh, Remco seems to have um, well, learnt a lot and learned quickly he's a intelligent lad isn't he, so annoying that isn't it, he has the full package yeah he does have the full package, he also looks, you're right he's super experienced but he's so fresh faced isn't he, you know what it's like sometimes when you see, particularly in, in road riding when someone might be hidden under a helmet and behind shades it's the same with Tade Pogacar. I think you can forget how young they actually are because what they're doing on the on the bike is so spectacular. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. But they're also when you speak to them, they're kind of yeah, they know what they're doing as well, though. You know, and they um, Magnus Sheffield is another one um, in our team. He's maybe twenty now. He's the same. You, you chat to him, you think he could be like twenty six, twenty seven. You know, yeah. they're just switched on, and uh, that goes a long way. That goes a long way when you're start getting results in and you kind of yeah and you're racing at the front and you know what to do then a bit more yeah definitely a very very strong start to this series G I think particularly because when we finished recording the interview Remco did let us both know that he is constantly badgered by other cycling podcasts to have him on and he said no to every single one apart from the GTCC popped his cherry right Tom <laughs> time to get a guest on Gee, I'm pleased to say we've got a very exciting offer for listeners of the GTCC, courtesy of one of the sponsors of this episode, Ruler Live. Ruler Live is the world's premier cycling event. Me and G went to it last year and we had a very good night out afterwards, didn't we, G? 
Well, I think it was before actually, Tom, which I think was our big mistake. Yeah, we were live on stage very early in the morning, weren't we, Garen, after a late night the night before. But it was a lot of fun. Um, we had an amazing time. We got to meet some of our listeners. We got to talk about the night out and other things. And this year, Ruler Live is going to be held at the Truman Brewery in London from the 3rd to the 5th of November. As before, they've got a star-studded lineup of guest speakers and over 50 of the best cycling brands all under one roof. There will be friends of the pod, Fabian Cancellara and Tom Boonen, as well as Lachlan Morton and many more. Just search for Ruler Live or Ruler.cc to find out more and book your tickets. Plus... Ruler are offering GTCC members, i.e. you listening right now, a two-for-one ticket offer. Just go to ruler.cc and enter the code GTCC2for1 at checkout. That's GTCC and the numbers two for one. Did you know that bananas are bad for monkeys? Did you know about all the pubs in the Houses of Parliament? Do you know how to make a curry in space? It's mind-blowing, but don't take our word for it. We've got a podcast that interviews zookeepers, politicians, astronauts, and everyone in between. And if you want hilarious stories and to learn about the weird and wonderful people of the world, then you should go and listen to our show, Things People Do, with me, Joe Marla. And me, Tom Fordyce. Search for Things People Do wherever you get your podcasts. Tom, today's guest is someone we've wanted to get on for quite a while, actually, mostly because she's Welsh and a fellow Mandy Flyer like me, but also because she's a pretty world-class bike rider herself. And uh, some of her achievements are Olympic gold medalist, winning the Team Pursuit Gold in 2016 and silver in Tokyo. She's also a five-time world champion on the track and probably, well, we'll ask... We'll ask her now, but probably her greatest achievement was giving birth to her son, Nico, back in March. Welcome to the GTCC, Alan Barker. Thanks for joining. Hello. Thanks for having me. Nice to be here. Because I remember when we saw you in the Commie Games and I was like, Alan Barker, is he? Like, is she, oh, is she just coming to say hello or something? Then I realised you were riding and you had your baby with you and your husband was there and I was like, fair play, like... I was like, how old is the baby then? Like, <laughs> how, like, well, it's phenomenal what you've done. To be at the commie six months after, or maybe even less, giving birth was absolutely bonkers. So fair play. Oh, thank you. Well, it's a bit bonkers, really. Um, in hindsight, I think at the time, I didn't really realise how soon it had been. I mean, it was only about a month ago. So I think Nico was coming up to five months old then. Yeah, I think at the time I was like, I'm a bike rider. So obviously I'm going to go and ride my bike. It's not that weird. And now even just like four or five weeks later, I look back and I think, actually, yeah, that was pretty soon, wasn't it? But I'd already done a couple of races. I think the earliest, well, the earliest race I did do was Nationals when he was um, just under three months old. And that, in hindsight, was, I think, probably just a bit stupid, <laughs> a bit um, a bit soon. But I think it was like, it's what I needed because of the timing of my pregnancy and also because of COVID. So I'd, um, I hadn't raced at all on the road in um, 2021 because yeah, the focus was the Olympics and it's so much more about the risk of going to a race and getting COVID or being in contact with someone on the plane that it wasn't worth it. So 2021 was gone. And then before I even got home from Tokyo, found out I was pregnant. So then 2022 in my mind was almost instantly gone. But I think it's 2023 being so important that made me want to race before my fitness comes back, I suppose, because yeah, like you'll know, there's so much to race in that's not just how much power you can put out. And I didn't want to get back to the point where I was fit, but 
my head was letting me down and I just wasn't familiar with moving through the bunch with ease and all of the little things that add up that mean that you can actually get to the end of a bike race in a good situation. But yeah, it does. Uh, it was a little bit crazy. Let's talk about the Tokyo Games in Eleanor. So you, am I right in thinking that you did a, your pregnancy test the night of the final and then you had the pregnancy test in your pocket, but you didn't tell anyone, is that right? Yeah, so about a week to go, there was just a few things I was like, I didn't I didn't feel ill or anything. I wasn't being sick. I had no typical symptoms, but I was like, something's a bit weird here. Something's not quite right. Um, and I had some things that, now I know that I've looked into it as symptoms. Um, like I had like heart palpitations or something like that. Um, just every now and again, like things were just a bit weird. And so I spoke to the doctor and he was like, okay, I think you could be pregnant. And then we had a bit of a meeting, myself and the doctor and psychologist, where we just had to kind of put a bit of a plan in place. It was going to take so long to get a pregnancy test because of all of the rules around, like no one could just go to the shop. We had to wait for one to come from the first aid kit in the village, which was like 180 kilometers away. And so that was going to take five days to get it to change hands at all the right times and stuff and for no one to come into contact with anyone unnecessarily at which point it was basically race day. So I kind of thought, well, I'm here now. The doctor says it's safe to race. I don't want to, I feel absolutely fine. I'm not going to not race just because this might be a thing. So kind of came up with a plan about, um, with the doctor, like how much caffeine could I have? Like, was it safe to go completely flat out? Which he said it was. And then with a psychologist to make sure that it was just like out of my mind then. Once we made that plan, I'm thinking about Team Pursuit until eight o'clock on I think it was the night of the 3rd of August and then after that I'm thinking about whether or not I'm about to have a baby and it was. <laughs> That's pretty cool though isn't it? Get an Olympic medal and then well I've got a baby coming now as well like to find out afterwards as well like how did you tell your husband because was he there? Oh no he wouldn't have been would he? Obviously. No he wasn't allowed he was working for the Danish team so he also had a really stressful day that day anyway because they had a really dramatic time. They just had a crash in the semi-final. It was all, um, it was all carnage. And he was up in the middle of the night because he was still in Copenhagen working, but working for the Danish squad. So he, I think he'd been up for like 26 hours or something working. And then I rang him to say, <laughs> oh, by the way, <laughs> your life's about to change. But he did know that I was taking the test. So he was like prepared for that. But yeah, I just had to tell him over the phone, which was really strange. Not how I pictured that moment happening at all, but very pandemic appropriate. What you're telling your partner that you have Yeah. Who did you talk to about it first, then, Linda? Were you were you talking to your fellow riders who have had children? Were you chatting to Laura, for example? Was she almost your first point of contact when you started thinking, right, okay, I'm an elite rider, but I'm going to be a mother too? Actually, no. We um, well, initially, we said, right, we won't. We'll, we'll tell only the people that we really need to tell. Um, so just immediate family a couple of very close friends um, and that'll be it until we have the first scan and I think by the time we had the scan there was probably about 25 to 30 people that knew <laughs> um, it's really really hard to keep that secret but I actually didn't tell anyone I didn't tell any other riders on the squad because I don't know I think uh, it's just such a nerve-wracking thing to go through I think that first trimester like waiting to see the baby on the scan and know that everything was okay was was really really quite nerve-wracking so we ended up telling quite a lot of people but it ended up being people that I needed to tell for various reasons. So um, actually one of the first people that I told was Jan Tagland who runs Uno X, who's the team that I was about to sign a contract with. And yeah, found out that I was pregnant. I was due to sign, I think on like the 10th of August and I just found out I was pregnant. So I felt like I needed to tell him, I needed to tell 
the person that was going to be my future DS so that we all knew how the next year was going to look before I signed. Yeah, they reacted pretty phenomenally. But then once I had had the scan, then yeah, I went and told the rest of the team for Suit Squad and spoke to um, Laura, Lizzie Dydenen, Sarah Story, a whole bunch of other athletes that have been mothers that could kind of give me a bit of advice and let me know what to expect, what they'd have done differently. Um, it was really, really helpful. So you know that with Uno X then, they were like obviously really good with you. But when it comes to the actual rules, like with the UCI and stuff, is there, because for me, I would just think, oh, UCI probably don't even have anything in the rules about, because they're so far behind, aren't they? But that's a different story. But would, is there anything to say? Like, what is the process? Like, is there any certain, like, do you still get like full pay? Is it still normal or is it like... Do you know, I, I don't actually know off the top of my head what the UCI rules are um, because I only really know my own experience. I don't think it's expected that you should get full pay, but that is what Newex have given me because, well, they're a Norwegian team. And I think Norwegians are kind of like head and shoulders above everybody else anyway when it comes to maternity and paternity um, leave. And so they just treated me in the same way that they would anyone who's an employee of UNOX um, as the company rather than the team. And so they kind of went with the philosophy of there's no set time that I need to come back within. I've got no targets that I need to hit in order to keep my place on the squad or anything like that. And they were like, why would we not give you full pay when your life is about to get really expensive? Because you can use that money to make things easier and then hopefully come back a better athlete. And it just makes so much sense. And it's far beyond what I'm to be honest when I told them I was really really hoping that they would maybe suspend the contract for a year and let me start next year but it's just been pretty phenomenal to still be so involved with the team and they let me bring the baby on camps uh, he's been on one camp already we're going to another camp next week so that I don't have to miss out until I finish breastfeeding and I can still actually be part of the team and kind of like hit the ground running once we hit the classics next year is the plan. And how did you find training when you were pregnant Elena because for a long time Elite sportswomen who became pregnant found that there was an almost complete lack of information about what you could do, particularly in specific sports, what you could physiologically do, but what you could, how late in your pregnancy you could train for, the intensity you could ride for. It was really mixed, actually. Some days I felt absolutely fine. I think the longest I rode for when I was pregnant was about 140k in like in one day, which was, and it felt fine. And then there were other days where, um, I think there was one day in the first trimester where I think I did three minutes on the turbo and then sat down on the sofa and was like, God, I feel awful. And then woke up two hours later with my cycling kit still on and my shoes and everything. <laughs> it was just so tired. So a lot of it's kind of like being limited by yourself and how you feel. Um, and that just changes, like the challenges of it change constantly. The first trimester, I was just being sick a lot. So I wasn't keeping enough food down. So I was really tired, which is pretty normal. Second trimester was generally all right and that's kind of where I got my more normal training weeks in I think you could probably look over my training peaks at that point in time and think I wasn't doing anything exceptional but I was I was still training I was getting some miles in and then the third trimester my biggest struggle was honestly just carrying this absolutely giant half Danish baby (laughs) it was I think he was like off the charts on some of them on how big he was and I'm afraid like normal sized woman so it just didn't really fit and it was so uncomfortable and I had to change the setup of my bike so much because I literally couldn't reach the handlebars otherwise that I couldn't ride on the road anymore because I was like right at the top of my stack my bars were twisted around the ugliest position you'll ever see in your life but it meant that I could ride on the turbo for a few hours at a time which is quite nice 
But in terms of intensity, I think that was the hardest thing to figure out really because no one really wants to push the limits on a pregnant woman as to how far you can ride or how hard you can ride before it gets dangerous. So it's a really hard thing to get any concrete evidence on. And even a lot of the data and a lot of the studies that I've been reading were quite, it's like you could interpret it one way or another. So generally went with, um, or kind of ended up with a consensus that I wouldn't let my heart rate go above 175 beats per minute. That was kind of below that we knew that we were safe. So I did quite a lot in the 170 to 175 zone. What's your max heart rate? About 195 to 200. Okay. Yeah. My max is about 175 these days. Yeah. (laughs) So I think it's like 20% below your max. Is that right? 10% below your max maybe is about, is like safe. Yeah. Which meant I could do sprints and I could do like quite short, really hard efforts because your heart rate doesn't really get that high in those short efforts. So it's quite, it was quite interesting really trying to see what could, what we could and couldn't get away with like studies and evidence wise. But I did find towards the end, I was just not a coachable athlete. I just had to wake up and think, what have I got in me today? And sometimes it would be two and a half hours on the turbo with some pretty good efforts. And sometimes it was just like, it's not happening today. Did you find Eleanor that it helped you mentally that you were still training because it kept you in touch with the person that you always have been in your life? Yes. Oh my God. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I did have um, had some points in time where I either prioritized life things because we had a really big life change coming up. And I figured spending some time getting that ready. Um, so, for example, Casper moved over from Copenhagen because we didn't actually live together yet because we were both working on the Olympics in our own separate countries. Yeah, we had to get a visa, had to get all this baby stuff and kind of just change our lives. So if I couldn't ride for a, a week or a weekend or something because of all that stuff going on, I was just a horrible person. And I feel like when people talk about endorphins increasing your mood and giving you energy and that exercise is really good for all that, I always thought like, what are you talking about? I come home from a ride and I'm absolutely knackered. Like, there's no energy lift from endorphins or anything. And I was actually getting that during um, towards the end of pregnancy. Like I'd actually feel like my mood would be lifted if I was doing just the right amount of exercise. Yeah, and not kind of like going through the other side and passing the point of the endorphin high. But I also think that, I don't know, I guess I've gotten to the point where I've been doing this since I was 10 years old. So I've kind of gotten to the point where I need like that base level of endorphins just to feel like I've reached my, like where my personality's at and anything below that, I just feel a little bit like something's off. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Like obviously, yeah, I, I obviously haven't been pregnant, but it's just, uh, you know, in the off season, when you have four weeks off after 10 days, you're like, poor, feel so like lethargic and slow and just, it doesn't stop you still drinking and eating and being like, oh, it's one o'clock, need lunch now, even though you're not hungry. But as soon as you start riding again, you just feel so much better within yourself just because you've done something. So I can totally get that. And it must be like, again, I'm not comparing this to being pregnant or having a baby, but you know, when you've been injured and you have a bit of time off and you obviously have more of a goal to get back. I think the mentality that the sports people have, it just makes it so much that's why we get back quicker. It's nothing to do with, I don't think really, being fitter as such. Like when you've got a broken bone, like it's, it's the bone in it. It's not like, okay, you are healthy but, and some people might be super, have some, you know, other problems. But it's like just your attitude and that sort of mentality is the biggest thing I think with, well, anything that's like hard, you know, and just getting through it is, um, well, it's, I think it's a big, uh, it helps a lot, doesn't it? I would say. 
Yeah, it, it is kind of like an injury in a way, but it's almost like a really, really slow injury that you know that you're going to kind of regress into and then like you know where the bottom point of that injury is and then it's like a slow progression out of it. So mentally it's really weird, like going through that regression phase, it's not like you just ride along one minute and then you're on the floor and you've broken a bone. It was like the two or three months before giving birth, I was like, oh, I'm just going to get worse. Like I'm going to keep trying hard, but I'm just going to get worse for the next two or three months. And that was a really weird thing to get my head around mentally. But coming out the other side has been awesome because uh, I say I'm probably about 80 to 90% of my best powers in like most time ranges now. Um, the top end stuff takes a little bit longer to come back, but across the board, I'm kind of most of the way there. And it's kind of come at like such big chunks because I started at such a low ability. Like it was all kind of within me somewhere, but it was the, at a month off the bike, after having Nico, which is the longest I've ever had off in one go. And just like turning the pedals felt really, really weird. And yeah, it's just been like really motivating. Like today I got a, I got a new power PV, which is way under what I'd have been happy with a year ago, but I was absolutely buzzing. I mean, I say a new power PV, a, a post-pregnancy PV. <laughs> yeah, and it's nice. Cause I think you spend so long working so hard to gain like one or 2% that to actually be able to see that progression ahead of me is a really, really nice place to be in. Did it help that there are examples so close to you of women who've become mothers and then come back to cycling with such success? Because obviously Laura had Albie and won another Olympic gold in Tokyo and, and Lizzie had Orla and then won Paris-Roubaix. So I imagine that was a help as you're sort of thinking, right, where am I going to get back to? Where, where can I conceivably get back to? Yeah, really, really helpful. And I think as well to have like such big names do that, be the be a kind of among the first to do it to that sort of level and then come back so convincingly. It's really allowed everyone that's been around me giving support to really buy into it because they're thinking, oh, this isn't like a bit of a like pie in the sky kind of goal. This is like something that's really possible and something that is potentially going to happen to a lot of people actually. So how are we best going to do that and best going to support it? Is it true? Like, I don't know if this is something now that I've just randomly seen on Twitter or something Luke Rose probably told me. But after being pregnant, do you get like a boost like hormonally, which helps? I've been asked this a few times and I feel like, so a lot of people have said, oh, but after you give birth, you get this like superhuman power, don't you? And then you're, <laughs> like, you've got an advantage over everyone else. And I think all of those people maybe have nannies because... <laughs> yeah, they're not exhausted, are they? They've yeah. been up all night on their own. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be like whatever, whatever um, small hormonal gain that you get, is definitely counteracted yeah with whatever you're doing between the hours of like 10 a.m and 6 uh, 10 p.m and 6 a.m so yeah maybe i think in a for a very basic sense i think there is something like that because you hold on to a lot of blood volume as well so i think you're part of the reason that you gain so much weight in pregnancy is a lot of it is just like just various fluids and a lot of that is blood volume i think it's you maybe gain like 25 percent. i don't know if that's right off the top of my head but it's a lot which is why pregnant women are hot all the time because it's just you're just full of blood and there is it there is definitely a gain to that but you do lose a lot of that I mean firstly just during labor and then gradually I think it just kind of decreases back to normal but I don't actually know where that cutoff point is. Breastfeeding as well though that's full on because again I haven't experienced it but my wife had um is it mis mastitis it was some like mastitis yeah that's yeah. the one. Oh, man like the things you got to go through it's full on in it. Like it's draining, like it's, you know, having, having to feed him like 
often in it like five six times a day whatever it is and also trying to get back training and this and that like fair play that's all i can say like (laughs) that must be hard work it is yeah if i'd be like gonna get formula and casper son you can just get up in the middle of the night you can do the day feeds as well like (laughs) yeah to be fair we we do split it reasonably evenly and i think also very lucky that the baby will just take a bottle pretty happily because otherwise I wouldn't be able to go out and train for as long as I need to I'd have to do like three or four split sessions which would just be rubbish but yeah we do we do try and split it as evenly as we can and he will take a bottle but it's quite full on but to be honest it's actually for me when I'm feeding him it's way easier to breastfeed because as soon as he cries it's just like I don't even have to get up I can just sort it out there and then whereas when Casper's looking after him he's got a weigh out the formula and heat the water and wait for it to cool down while you've got a screaming baby in your arms. So I've actually, in some ways, got it easier than him when it's, um, when it's my shift. <laughs> Don't let him listen to this. You have to be so inventive as a parent on your training, don't you, Eleanor? So I've seen a fantastic video of you on your turbo trainer and you've got Nico in his little cradle on just off to your left-hand side. And was it a broom handle you were using? Just sort of resting on your handlebars and you were just managing to rock him and he looks so happy rocking while you were riding on your turbo. Yeah, so I did that. That was really early on when I wasn't allowed to ride for more than, I think, about 45 minutes at a time. That was like one of my first sessions back. And Cass was working all day. I think he might have even been away. And I've been trying to do this session for two hours and he was just not having it at all. And I was like, right, I can't just, I can't stay in my kit all day and have him done like about 13 minutes of riding. So that's just what I did for the rest of it, uh, which obviously isn't really going to work with like flat out sprints I haven't got the coordination for that but yeah it's we, we try and involve him in as much as we can as well because I do want to spend as much time as possible with him I'm, I know that I'm gonna to have to t- spend more and more time away when I start racing again so if I can have him around me while I'm training he quite often hangs out while I'm doing a gym session I'll use him as a weight for core exercises and stuff um yeah just try and spend as much time as with him as possible because I'm not going to get all that for for the whole duration of my career anymore it does astonish you, doesn't it, when you look back and you're in that period of having such disrupted sleep and you look back on the way you were before you had your child and it seems astonishing that you didn't appreciate it more. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, completely. I mean, I remember actually being so delirious, I think maybe after Nico was about three weeks old, that I thought that I was holding Nico in bed and then he started crying and he was in the cot. So I woke Casper up and was like, I've got this baby, you need to get the other one. I can't hold them both. And he was like, what? And I was like, what? Imagine Casper's Kasper, imagine panic there, G. <laughs> and I couldn't figure out, I was like, I know that yeah. I'm wrong, but you just need to get the, you just need to get the baby while I figure this out. <laughs> but yeah, now I think you have like five hours uninterrupted sleep and you're like, yes, this is, this today's going to be amazing. I'm going to go nail the training session. You're going to have a fantastic day. Whereas previously you'd think, oh God, I got woken up once. That was awful. That was one of the hardest things for me, I think, yeah, is the sleep. And when you, like, to think, like, if you had told me before we'd had a kid, like, oh, yeah, five hours sleep is good. Or only waking up once is good. You're like, what? You need at least eight hours uninterrupted. Maybe wake up for a quick wee and then go back to sleep straight away. It's just like, yeah. So I know I keep saying it, but yeah, hats off to <laughs> to be able to come back so quickly. But has that <laughs> changed? Has that changed, like, your perspective on racing at all? Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of hard to, I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain. It's like I care as much as I used to. I don't know, like, if there was, like, a pie chart of things I cared about, the 
slice of pie that represents cycling is still the same size, but now I've just got like an absolutely massive pie. <laughs> so I don't know. Like I, 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 I care as much about cycling, but I don't care anywhere near as much as I do about my family and about Nico and about how he is, which I don't know. I don't know if that's, if that even works. It's kind of like saying like giving 110%, it just doesn't work, does it? I totally get that because I'm, I'm kind of the same. Like I, I don't care any more or less when it comes to racing and the results and the work you put in, but I think I'm just a lot more productive when I'm away now. So for training camp, for instance, or a race, it's like, well, I'm away now, so I'm going to make the most of this and make it worthwhile because I'm away from him and Sai, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you think you, you, I bet you probably appreciate the training camps and stuff more then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just sleeping again, isn't it? Like, it's, it's kind of a joke, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I've come away to get some sleep, but it, it does make a difference. Like, well, I'm saying that. Like, Max is, he's almost three now and he sleeps through the night and he's done, been doing that for a, well, a while, but I think it's just scarred me. But yeah, but yeah it's, <laughs> it's uh, for me, I guess it's more, I kind of was getting more and more like it anyway, as I sort of, you know, done more and more years, but it's more just the risk in the race. Like there's a time and a place for that risk. And, you know, I'm definitely not going to be taking a risk with a hundred K to go. Like obviously when you're in the last, you know, in with the opportunity to win, then of course you just, you kind of just take that pin out, don't you? And you don't race like stupid, but you're kind of like, right, this is what I need to do. And you just do it. But I'm definitely more aware of like, if we're going down a descent, a wet descent with 100k to go, I'm definitely not going to be trying to outbreak people, you know, to be further up the peloton or whatever. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, and I think a lot of people say that, don't they? Like people that have become mums or dads that say that it's a little bit different. Whereas I actually think that it's been kind of a, I, I can almost imagine myself taking more risks in road racing than I previously have which sounds like a bit ridiculous but I think because previously I've been a track rider who's kind of fitted in road around that and the way that the track program's gone is that we've become more and more focused so doing road races is almost seen as a distraction it's almost seen like not quite like going on a holiday but it wasn't being totally focused on track and what you needed to do so I take those risks in a Madison or a points race or whatever it was because that was like that's what I was training for and it's sort of like I had the confidence in myself that I could win so it's worth trying to crash whereas on the road I was like well I haven't really prepared for this a lot of the time I wasn't getting paid for it and I thought well if I have a crash that's probably going to impact my track riding and then I'll end up with with nothing no career which I really wanted to hold on to so I'm almost thinking now I'm kind of changing my focus I'm becoming a road rider who's going to do some occasional track feeling really well supported on the road it's what I'm training 100% for and yeah so I'm kind of like more ready to take those risks risks than I previously was whether when I get into it I'm actually thinking like oh no I want to be able to pick up my child when I get home I don't know but I I do feel like uh I can I can picture myself getting more stuck in than I previously have done have you been a good watcher Eleanor when you were watching racing when you were when you were pregnant and you were coming back or did that in some ways almost make you feel slightly further away from it oh it really varied actually I think it depended on how I was feeling in myself. So I was, I've had some quite anxious periods of being pregnant. So I think watching people that you know, particularly in bike races when you're feeling quite anxious is just hard. So I did have some points of time where either I didn't want to watch because it made me feel further away or I was just a bit on edge and needed to chill out a little bit more. But also for the last, I think maybe two months of my pregnancy, I could only really ride outside on a mountain bike because of the, like, the upright position and stuff. So I was doing a lot of turbo. 
So once a classic season started, I would just make sure that I timed my season for when the racing was on and then I'd kind of pretend like I was in the race and that everyone else was also only doing 130 watts or something. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you're super excited though to get road racing now. Really excited, yeah. What are you going to do? What's your, what's your big sort of goals and dreams? Like Roubaix or like more the, or anything and everything? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, like, as I said before, I've always been a track rider that's done a bit of road and it's never really been a case of trying to peak for a certain race or even really be able to prepare properly for a certain race. I was just doing the races that fit in between the track program. So now I don't really know what kind of rider I am. Um, I kind of feel like I'm maybe a little bit of everything, but probably not the best at anything. So I think it's going to be quite nice to get my teeth stuck in a little bit more, be able to properly prepare for races and turn up backing myself a little bit more. But it also means it's quite hard to say, oh yeah, this is the race that I'm going to be really good at. This is what I'm going to target. But it's really nice actually to be coming back in like with this kind of mindset, being a little bit unsure of where exactly I fit in the peloton, where I think a lot of people have got targets that are just to be at particular races. For example, the Tour or Roubaix, it's like, they're the kind of races that everybody wants to be able to say, oh, I did that, I finished that race, I was there. And I'm pretty sad that I've missed the first editions, but I think to, to be involved in those races in the next couple of years is a massive goal. Um, I really want to do both of those among others obviously but those are like the two big really historic prestigious events that I now feel like insanely lucky to be able to try and have a go at. They feel like they're so important to the way that women's cycling is changing and developing those two races as well. Yeah I mean it's just iconic and everybody everyone knows what the Tour de France means um like people that people will just like if they, if they want to support you, if you're riding fast on the street, they'll just shout Tour de France. And like, they don't even really know what they're talking about. I mean, that guy in um, at Coffee Street that just came up to you and just said yellow jersey. Like, what's that? People can't people who can't even speak <laughs> yeah. in coherent sentences still understand <laughs> the meaning of the Tour de yeah. France. It's huge. So Yeah, Tom, we were sat at breakfast, I think it was breakfast or something. And we were obviously in our, we had a, our own hotel because there was a strange setup on there. There wasn't really one village. And um yeah, we're out in some random hotel and this guy just walks up to the table and we're all sat there like, you know, the men's and the women's road teams. And he just stands opposite me and just points at me and just goes, yellow jersey. And I was just like, <laughs> yeah, thanks. And then he like, looked oh. really proud of himself, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. Like, what, what are you supposed to say to that? I mean, you must actually get it all the time. I think it's the first time I've ever seen anybody act like that around another person. It was really strange. <laughs> <laughs> so just to yeah. clarify you weren't in the yellow jersey at the time Garant you were just in your in your uh, just your team kit or a hoodie or, or something but the thing that he thought of when he saw your face was the yellow jersey yeah yeah pretty much but I think just to not even be able to put it into he didn't even say oh it was amazing to watch you or like <laughs> I so remember proud you to wearing see you the... or anything like that yeah, yeah literally literally just yellow jersey that's all he had in his mind <laughs> <laughs> it was still nice of him to say hello it just a bit of a random way of saying it wasn't it Gee, does listening to Eleanor's story, does it make you appreciate even more what it is like to be an elite male cyclist when you become a parent? No, yeah, and it's just, um, and as a, as a male athlete, I'm lucky that Saar sort of obviously does did most of the nights when the nights were bad and hard. But we, we were lucky when we had him as well, to be fair, because it was October, so it was just the start of the off-season at the whole of the winter. So, you know, it was pretty chilled then, you know, I could still go out and do 
my my training but there was no intensity as such it was more just long endurance rides so I was able to still do a bit and then COVID obviously happened in March and uh, 2020 so then a load of racing was canned and so we went we were back in Cardiff then for for part of that so actually I got to spend a lot more time than what I probably well I definitely would have so that was good but um yeah to then just go racing and stuff and definitely well, I'm super lucky that the SAR, you know, sort of just took that weight and just did it, did the hard graft around that really to allow me to still be an athlete as such. So, yeah, to just knowing how hard it is to bring up a kid, like for, yeah, to see what Ellen is doing and obviously Lizzie and and Laura is, we, we're lucky to, I'm, I'm lucky to be a man, I think, yeah. Have you thought at all, Eleanor, about, and I think every, every parent does this, even if they try not to, have you thought what Nico might end up doing as he grows. Do you, Would you mind if he gets into cycling or doesn't get into cycling? Oh, I think I'd be really sad if he didn't want to be around bikes at all. I just feel like it's given me and his dad so much. We wouldn't have met each other if we weren't into cycling. I don't mind too much if he's not too competitive or he doesn't want to race, but if he didn't even want to just like go on his bike around the park, I'd, I'd be really quite sad about that. I think 100% you'll want to. Because Max, like we, there's, we haven't, you know, forced anything on him, like whatever. But he sees me going on my bike every day, and he just absolutely loves it. Like that's all. Like he used to oh, follow so me nice. around the house, wanting to push my bike, and then like he grabbed my helmet. So like, even when he was like not even speaking, just like dad, dad, you know, like carrying this helmet, and yeah, for sure. Like because he, you'll see that every day. They just pick up on it. Is he riding a bike yet, or is that too young? Yeah, no. So we had a balanced bike. And then um, that just sped up the process massively. And then we just put him on a pedal bike. Literally, I don't know, no no exaggeration, five minutes. And then he was just pedaling around. And then we just like, because obviously the balance bit is all the, the hard stuff in it, really. You just got to know you need to pedal. And once he kept pedaling, that was it. And he was off and yeah, he loves it. But then, you know, um, Federer announced his retirement recently. We took, uh, just happened to be a coincidence, we took Max up the same day to play a bit of tennis. Like there was this kid's thing and he absolutely loves that. So I might sort of, um, not going to f- push him into anything, but you know, but hopefully he goes into tennis more than cycling because, um, yeah, it's a bit safer, I would say. Think about the lifestyle as a parent as well. Yeah, if he did want to race this, that would be great though. Can you imagine going to some bike races, like taking him down to Mandy or Garen Thomas National Velodrome Wales in Newport. <laughs> <laughs> it's turned into a baby podcast this, haven't it? I know, I was going to say, is this... <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to lose you loads of listeners. <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm having a whale for time. <laughs> well, Eleanor, it's been lovely having you on the GTCC. We wanted to have you on for a while, so thanks so much for making the time. And it's been lovely hearing about Nico and you and Casper and how well you're getting on. And we wish you every success as you continue your comeback to elite racing. Thank you very much. Cheers. It was so lovely to speak to you. Yeah, I just wanted to reiterate that. Thanks for coming on and good luck next year. I'm looking forward to seeing you racing. Thank you very much. Good luck to you too. Tom, we've got a new sponsor for season three and I think we're all going to benefit from this one. Yeah, we know how much you all love coffee, especially on a bike ride. So we've only gone and partnered up with Origin Coffee. Not only that, 
but we've got you a very chunky discount too. Not a bad start to the season from our chairperson. Yeah, gee, I'm on it from the word go, you know that. A little bit about Origin Coffee then. So they're pioneers in sourcing and roasting some of the highest quality specialty coffee on the market today. In fact, they launch a new coffee every week. Right, so how are we getting our hands on this to taste then, G? Well, I've already done that for you. I've tried Resolute. I would describe it as chocolate, stone fruit, bit of caramel. Have you just read that off the label? Yeah, but I did choose it because it's no nonsense. It's just a classic proper coffee, you know? If you want to try Origin Coffee, just like G, you can get 30% off all coffee and pods by going to origincoffee.co.uk and using the code GTCC30 at checkout. All online orders are roasted and shipped the same day and they have a rewards program so customers can earn points and get cash back every time they shop online. That's code GTCC30 at checkout. Go and get yours today. Enjoy. Tom, Zwift are back for their third season sponsoring the GTCC. Which means our Wednesday 6pm group rides continue. Exactly. Just hop on your trainer, open up the Zwift app and join the group ride. You get to ride alongside us, all our club members and wear the in-game GTCC jersey. And if you're new to Zwift, just go to Zwift.com to start your free trial today. During this season of the pod, we're going to be walking you through all the new stuff we've been trying out on the app. Just think of us as your testing team. So Chairman Tom, what have you been trying this week? This week, G, I've had a go with Hollow Replay. Now, this is basically a mirror of yourself. So when you set a PB over any time segment, Hollow Replay will play back this best effort when you attempt it again. You know what this sounds like, Tom? Mario Kart Ghost Mode. Yeah, it is exactly that. So the ghost of you is riding alongside. So you can race it and hopefully beat your all-time record. Right. So let's say, for example, you want to go sub 60 minutes on Outdo Zwift. Hollow Replay plays the exact effort you put in alongside you. So if you blew up in the last kilometre, you know you need to go a little bit slower and keep something back for the finish. You are literally racing yourself. Or why not set a record on a volcano lap and then use Hollow Replay to try and beat it? Right, Zwifters, give it a go and get in touch when you smash those PBs. Right, Chairman Tom, it's time for any other business now. And I hear we've had a winner wearing the GTCC jersey. Spot on, G. Now, I mean, we both know that anyone who wears a GTCC jersey is a winner in life. But let's give a huge shout out to Roger Drummond, who has sent in a picture of himself standing on top of the podium in his GTCC jersey in Springville, California. Roger took part in the Fat Tire Classic mountain bike ride and topped the 60 plus division. In the photo, he's standing on the top step with a medal in hand and what looks like a beer called Fat Tire. This sounds like our sort of race. Now, we've talked about prizes before on this podcast. Just remind me, though, what did you get when you won Tour de Suisse earlier this year? Oh, it certainly wasn't a, a beer. It was a, um, it must have been about five foot, a five foot egg timer thing. Um, what? One of the more peculiar ones. It was heavy as well, to be fair. How big would the egg have to be for it to work as an egg timer? <laughs> Actually, no, it's not. You know, or maybe egg timer is the wrong word. I mean, you know, if the sand runs through like a, yeah, a timer, an egg timer thing. Oh, it is an egg timer. 
Do people actually use that to cook eggs? <laughs> Not one that big, because the classic um, hard-boiled egg is three and a half minutes, isn't it? So if it's five foot tall, you'd need to be cooking a dinosaur egg for that one to work. Three and a half minutes, is that... Are you cooking a... That's not a boiled egg, is it? That's probably a poached egg. Dead right, <laughs> right. that. No? How many minutes are you clocking in for your eggs? Well, I never have a boiled egg, to be honest. I just, like, scramble it in the pan. So, um, <laughs> I don't actually know. I just thought that that seemed quite short. <laughs> I like it yolky, though. It's got to be runny, the yolk, not hard-boiled. I mean, I think you're the sort of man who has his eggs in the main cooked for him. In the main, Tom, yes, I would agree. But <laughs> when I do it myself, I just crack the egg in the pan and just whisk it around a bit in it or not whisk but you know whack it about about a bit with some spatula thing and bang it on your toast and you're done well this sounds like an ideal egg recipe in the meantime we've had lots of very good suggestions for what you guys would like to see in a paid gtcc membership tier now most seem to like the idea of a discount code on kit so we'll definitely work on that and in fact on that topic we have had a glowing review from fiona mundell on our facebook group about the gtcc bib shorts now i am entirely down with fiona here because i wore them on the madone and they were extraordinarily comfortable fiona says i know how hard it is to find a comfy pair of bib shorts but i can honestly say the gtcc set that i own is the most comfortable and my favorite by far Always my go-to shorts for long rides. Thanks, Fiona. I agree. Lovely stuff. And remember, you can still go and buy the kit, including the shorts, on gtccstore.com. Perfect Christmas present, Tom. Although it probably is a bit too early to be thinking about Christmas, isn't it? Only just, I would say, what we're getting near that point. The last thing from me, G, today is that if anyone would like to leave us a review on their favourite podcast app, please do. Let us know what you think of the show. Let us know what episodes you've enjoyed. Let us know how we might even be able to improve. All feedback welcome. Right, Tom. See you next week. See you then. That was the Garrett Thomas Cycling Club. Thanks to Club Secretary Louise Gwilliam, Heads of Music Emma Hickman and Frank Beecher, Head of Social Archie Biltcliffe, and our Honorary President Mike Carr. But most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next time. Ciao, ciao. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. <laughs>